back, everyone, to another installment of the Gopher Coffee Shop Podcast. I'm Ryan Miller. And I'm Brad Carlson. And today, Brad, we're having another uh, podcast kind of waiting for spring to spring. We've had some very cool temperatures. I know the past handful of days here, we've really failed to accumulate any heat. And so uh, we're waiting for spring to arrive. In here in southern Minnesota, it's been downright cold. It uh, feels more like uh, March or even October. It's been odd, and it's been extraordinarily windy. Uh, um, South central Minnesota was actually still classified as being in a moderate drought up until a couple of weeks ago. Um, we've gotten a couple inches of precip since then. I haven't seen the uh, whether that's been updated and removed or not. But uh, um, in general, uh, the combination of how cold it's been has just not got farmers, uh, uh, I guess, in the mood, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, but then beyond that, the precip we have had, despite the fact it's been extremely windy, uh, it's been cloudy and cold. And, and so the fields just don't really dry out. It never really gets a whole lot better. Um, the days that we've had that have been nice, that it seems like maybe things could get started, uh, had rain in the forecast. And nobody really wants to go out and work a field with a field cultivator and then have it rain the next day and have it crust over. So everybody just kind of is just sitting around and waiting uh, um, some fertilizer got put on, um, last fall, obviously, you know, the South Central Minnesota is a, a little bit, uh, touch and go on that. It's long been a, a considered an acceptable practice, uh, uh provided you use anhydrous, uh, uh with, uh, serve Um, but, uh, the majority of fertilizer was still waiting to be put on this spring and it's still waiting to be put on. I've been getting phone calls, uh, this last week about the possibility of putting it on when the ground is frozen. Uh, that's an interesting circumstance there. Um, need to be good and careful about whether the, uh, there's still capacity in the, in the, the soil profile to absorb uh, moisture if it's, uh, if it's saturated and you applied urea on the surface and then it thaws out and it just uh, dissolves and stays on the surface, you might just end up losing it all again. Uh, not to mention the fact if we got rainfall and the soil is frozen, it'll all wash off the field. So uh, just just really a strange, strange spring. Yeah, spring if we can call it spring. I guess right. Maybe it's more like our fifth winter. Uh, but anyways, today we've got a couple of our colleagues with us uh, from the crops team. Uh, we've got Dave Nicolay. How are you doing, Dave? Very good. Thank you. And Dave, you're more familiar with that area, kind of south and west of the, the metro off into the central part of the state. Uh, you originally hail from the Renville County area. Of course, today you're joining us from Farmington, but uh, maybe you want to fill us in on how things are, are progressing. Well, that's definitely the case. Uh, I think right now, as we uh, talk about things here in, in late April on the, on the 28th, uh, really, we haven't really turned a wheel in a lot of these situations, so uh, they're hoping uh, maybe something next week, although we do have rain in the forecast uh, this uh, this weekend, so that may impede progress. So uh, we need a little bit of sunshine, Ryan. And also on the program here today, we've got Jared Goblin uh, from over in the western part of the state. Uh, Jared, why don't you fill us in on where you're at and how things are progressing or not progressing? Yeah, so I'm sitting uh, basically in south-central Lackaparo County, uh, which is kind of where I live and everything. And we're kind of in the sweet spot, I'd say, uh, compared to a lot of areas. As you go a little bit further north, there's a lot of fall precip. And, you know, I was up in that area a couple weeks ago. 
you know, a lot of ruts still in fields from people trying to get the crop out last fall. And, you know, some of that was tillage too, trying to get some tillage done. But, uh, and then as you move to the south, there, you know, there's some areas where it was really dry last summer and, you know, they didn't quite have the recharge, those, those later rains like, like uh, some others did. And, and they're actually pretty dry. So uh, we're kind of in that area where conditions are actually looking pretty good. Uh, field conditions wise there's still a little bit of frost in the ground you know a lot of the small grains right in this area people have been able to get in of course there's not a lot of small grain acres but a little bit of corn that has gone in just a few acres here and there you know people trying to make sure the planter is all going to work and ready to go and things really go gangbusters you know but a lot of people are just kind of sitting and waiting you know we've got the some cold rain uh, cold weather yet in the forecast and you know the soil temps of you know we've the last couple mornings we've been in the freezing temperatures and uh, you know, puddles have had had uh, had ice on them, so certainly not corn planting weather uh, in many cases. I know some people I've talked to have went through their planters about 15 times, and they found all kinds of things to fix. So I think once uh, conditions do improve and warm up, uh, I think people will will be will be raring to go. Yeah, yesterday we were out in the field preparing some things for uh, for summer, moving some equipment around and such, and. Uh, I did notice one person seeding in, uh, looked like they were no-till drilling in, probably a small grain, and certainly this is the time of year we want to be getting on top of that activity because we know it's absolutely critical to early plant our, our small grains, and certainly if they're uh, rolling and not plugging up, they should be just fine, I suppose. Well, you know, that, that's an interesting uh, point, Ryan, because I had a farmer was discussing that with me a couple of days ago that... Um, he had intended to take advantage of some of these high small grain prices and diversify his crop rotation. And he said, you know, it's just too late. It's May now. Uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm going to go back to just all corn and soybeans. But I, the point I made to him is, well, with the way the weather has been, um, may, maybe for all we know, it's going to be a cold summer. And actually, you'd have been, you'd have been all right doing that, I guess. Uh, uh, but uh, we don't really know. Yeah, that is a tough one. And uh, out of curiosity, I did look at that kind of summer three-month outlook uh, as far as the, the forecast and the National Weather Service, uh, what they're showing for that June, July, August time frame. And again, uh, they're showing some uh, predictions for above-average temperatures, uh, uh, warmer temperatures, as well as uh, the potential for some, some drought-type conditions to creep back into into southern Minnesota this summer. So... Well, and certainly we'll see how that pans out as far as the future. It's it's their best attempt uh, with some of their modeling tools to kind of uh, create an outlook for us throughout the summer. And so uh, certainly, though, Jared, uh, if with that kind of uh, a forecast, late planting of small grains uh, certainly becomes uh, a little bit concerning because that's kind of a, a bad situation to have uh, predicted warmer temperatures if we get late planting. There's the potential, I suppose, to see some significant penalties in terms of yield and, and quality even. So, Yeah, really, once we get into that May time frame, that's where, you know, our recommendation really is in southern Minnesota to consider switching to corn because, you know, you, we warm up too quickly and, you know, that's not good for, for yield. I have talked to a few people that uh, have actually, the last couple of years, have actually seeded into frost, you know, with a no-till drill. Uh, trying to get in, you know, a little bit ahead of that curve. So obviously still kind of wet and sticky underneath, but, you know, doing it early in the morning or at night when some of that uh, frost sets in into that upper kind of, you know, quarter inch even of soil just to kind of keep the mud off the tires. Um, you know, and I know people have had some success with that, uh, but uh, this year I know I talked to somebody that had oats planted a month ago 
uh, into those conditions and you know there's only about a, a half to a quarter of an inch of any growth off of those oat seedlings so um, we've just been really cold even for for small grains that are pretty well adapted to those cooler temperatures although you know we do we do see just a little bit of winter wheat uh, uh, I'm we're I'm far enough in you know southern Minnesota that we'll we'll see some winter wheat and uh, that looks pretty good uh, from what I'm seeing so far the weather has been a-okay for that so Jared yeah. where would you uh, what would kind of calendar dates if you just had to throw out a calendar date here for uh, since this is a statewide uh, podcast we're doing uh, you know when do people typically recommend on a calendar basis uh, to cease uh, spring wheat planting for northwest Minnesota versus southern Minnesota yeah, so kind of those recommendations, you know, from southern Minnesota, the recommended last planting date is the first week of May, you know, in southern Minnesota. I think the recommendation is south of Highway 12, which is obviously a pretty big area. You know, earlier the better. I usually say, you know, in southern Minnesota, be ready on St. Patrick's Day, you know, and go as soon as the conditions are fit. You know, that, that unfortunately, uh, we're a long ways from that this year. But as you move closer to the Canadian border, uh, it actually pushes back to that first week of June being the last week uh, recommended. So it's kind of a whole month. Uh, difference there just based on the differences in climate but of course optimal is you know first week of April uh, ideally in southern Minnesota and, and first week of May as you you move further north. Jared do you get uh, do you get all the way up to the Canadian border much I know last summer there was a lot of conversation I I had to take a, a trip uh, personally I actually was in Halleck a couple of times and and I noticed once you got north of Crookston there pretty much was no corn anymore um, you know, and that's not been what the trend has been lately. And everybody said, well, with higher, better small grain prices, uh, they've just decided to go back to small grains again. Uh, do you get the feeling that that's kind of, kind of a, a situation we're at again, where we're pretty much north of Crookston, no one's really planning on planting field corn this year? Yeah, that is a unique area. And I've, thankfully, I've gotten the opportunity to go up. I think our, our summer small grain field day is about, uh, three miles from the Canadian border. So, um, you know, that's where you get really into the canola uh, country, you know, ryegrass production up in some of those areas near Rosso. Um, and, and you get into that transition area where some people might have a few corn acres, you know, maybe they planted a few times, but they got burned, you know, if you have an early frost or something along those lines. Uh, you know, and it kind of depends on the farm. You know, some people have, have invested in drier setups, you know, so that they can dry that corn down if you do have some of those earlier, you know, frost temperatures. But, you know, it's a lot of those swing acres, right? So years like this... Um, you know, where input prices go up and, you know, there's a little bit more risk with corn and actually reaching black layer in those areas. So it's, it, it certainly is a lot of different things that they consider in that neck of the woods, uh, just from a risk management perspective and, you know, in the length of your growing season, I guess. There's certainly some opportunities this year with small grains, in particular wheat production, uh, uh, given what's happening in Ukraine and the potential for a limited production or no production even coming out of that part of the world. And so... Um, I think people are looking to take advantage of some of that. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, uh, you know, really echoing some of the interest in oats as oat prices kind of spiked last fall already. And, you know, all of our winter small grain meetings, that was kind of the hot topic. But, you know, that was before wheat went up to, you know, 12 bucks a bushel. Um, so, you know, that's obviously kind of pushed a little bit of interest there. But at the same time, corn and bean prices have went up as well. So I think it kind of depends on, you know, where you had some of your inputs uh, priced and, and how early you can get in the field. Well, in addition to that, there's there's producers out there who are fully on board with the thought that we need to be diversifying our crop rotations. And, and I know one guy I was talking to 
who said that it is they fully are fully planning next year to to add wheat into their crop rotation uh, in this area in south central Minnesota. Uh, for that reason, they see that there's you know finally some opportunities economically to uh, uh, to not lose money, and and they think in the overall basis, it's kind of like that whole uh, um, you know we talk about guys will say. Well, there's so much money in corn, I'm just going to grow continuous corn. But then when you do the actual analysis of financial records, you find out that in reality, uh, corn bean rotation is pretty much just as profitable as continuous corn uh, and and then, then avoids a lot of other problems. Uh, I think it's the same philosophy like, well, if I'm not going to lose money, uh, I'm willing to lengthen my crop rotation out to three years now and, and see if we can get some even better benefits of that. And so uh, there's going to be a lot of guys who are, are really doing some serious fact-finding on small grains this summer uh, with an eye on the 2023 growing season. Yeah, Brad, that, you know, some of the, are some of the topics that we'll cover, you know, that whole rotation effect is, you know, you know, years ago, anyways, when continuous corn became a little more common, we talked about some of those, you know, yield, uh, you know, factors there when you go to that, and and uh, some of the longer term rotation work, you know, in Wisconsin and Illinois shows that growing corn in that three way rotation usually you get about a seven to eight percent bump over corn grown just with soybeans, and the theory there is largely moisture based. You know, if you get some of those drier years, you know, planting corn after a small grain, there's some moisture savings there. Um, you know, the question then is, well, what if I plant a cover crop after small grains? That's another reason why people, you know, have had some interest, especially if you got livestock to feed some forage. Um, so, you know, we don't necessarily know if there's those benefits. And then on the soybean side too, you know, SEN and some of those other issues, resistant weeds, you know, there's all these issues that, you know, on certain acres, you know, where you have these issues pop up, there's, there's a lot more interest. And you know, I usually tell people, you know, to be strategic on those, obviously, you know, it doesn't necessarily make sense on a lot of people's farms to plant a third of your acres to small grain. A lot of things that go into that from marketing and everything. But, um, you know, if you got a few acres here and there that you have, uh, you know, smaller fields or something that you have these issues, it, it, it definitely makes some sense, I think. So one of the goals of today's podcast was to kind of talk about some of the summer opportunities that are coming up for folks. Uh, if they want to engage in some of uh, the educational offerings we've got this summer. Uh, but one of the primary focuses we wanted to mention, because it's uh, it's coming up pretty quick here on May 11th, is our uh, Strategic Farming Field Notes program, which uh, if you're familiar with the Strategic Farming uh, Let's Talk Crops uh, series from this past winter, uh, it's similar in nature, a little bit different. Um, you know, our, our, our Let's Talk Crops episodes were sort of planned out uh, throughout the winter season, and they were a little bit longer format. Uh, we had an hour to have discussion around different topics, and each week we covered a, a different topic and allowed uh, the opportunity for folks to help kind of drive the discussion by ans asking questions and adding uh, any input they had. And so, um, you know, it's, it's similar in that, that we want it to be discussion-based, uh, but the Field Notes program is a little bit shorter in format. So... Uh, it's only going to run for a half hour on Wednesdays uh, from 8 to 8.30. Uh, but uh, that said, it's it's going to be similar. We're going to co cover uh, uh, relevant time-sensitive topics. Uh, so we don't have the whole season planned out ahead of time. But if you look at the calendar, you can kind of guess what topics might occur over the course of the, the summer uh, as we progress. Uh, but Dave, do you want to make mention of anything here about this program? Well, it's actually started... Uh set for 
um, actually Wednesday, May 11th is our kickoff uh, in terms of the program. We're going to continue, as you said, throughout the summer, uh, you know, typically in, in through the um, month of August. And uh, this is really designed for farmers as well as ag professionals. We want to keep it short and succinct. So the program is designed to run from 8 o'clock in the morning to 8.30. And if you can't make the live session, there's really no problem here. Uh, it's a discussion-based series, so we'll, we'll be posting it later on as a podcast uh, following the webinar so that you can listen at your own convenience in terms of that. But it's going to feature uh, people from the University of Minnesota and well as uh, industry, uh, independent crop consultants, uh, so a wide range of, uh, of personalities that we'll be featuring and talking about everything from um, agronomics, soil fertility, pest management, uh, e you know, equipment. Uh, we've even had some farm management people in talk a little bit about marketing uh, again, but we want to make it very timely, again, uh, very succinct in that time period. So from 8 to 8.30, uh, you do have to, uh, obviously, in those situations to obtain it and, and listen to this. Uh, there is a opportunity on our crop news, and maybe uh, Ryan or Jared can mention more about that, but we really would encourage people to register in advance and give you an opportunity to ask questions too. So certainly we're going to encourage folks to register and that registration information is uh, both with this podcast description as well as in the crop news that uh, was sent out uh, to announce the publication of this particular podcast. So uh, that's a good chance for you to, to sign up. And one of the benefits to registering for the program, it'll kind of remind you as the season goes along what's coming up. And uh, we'll also be announcing the topics as, as they come based on what's developing throughout the season. And so uh, we really would encourage folks to uh, to sign up. Uh, you do all have the opportunity then to, to ask some questions. Of course, that's going to be a little challenging, not knowing what topic is coming when, as we did during the winter, when you could kind of see and anticipate what was coming and, and think about questions you might have and kind of help out that way. But uh, certainly getting registered will help keep you in tune as far as uh, um, you know when it's going to occur and, and kind of get those reminders in your inbox and your email to to tune in on Wednesday and uh, what the particular topic is that we're going to try to cover. So, and I was looking back at some of the sessions we had last year and last year was our inaugural uh, program for, for this field notes uh, style. And, uh, and we're kind of starting off on a similar note. Uh, we started with uh, uh, kind of talking weather and weather conditions, uh, uh, expectations last year. And so this year we're going to kind of start there again, Dave, uh, We've got a special guest coming in from the from the Climate Hub down in Iowa there. Uh, maybe you want to mention something? Well, obviously, you know, we're all in the agriculture business. Dr. Den <clears throat> Excuse me, Dr. Dennis Toddy, who is a USDA um, meteorologist and with the Upper Midwest Climate Hub, is going to be with us on the first time around on uh, May 11 to talk a little bit more in terms of the short-term forecast, but also, you know, looking out at that 8 to 14 day, but all of those weather situations when we deal with making our planting plans here, we consider, you know, timely planting, herbicide applications, where, you know, we're recommending a lot of pre-emergence herbicide applications uh, as well in corn and soybeans. So we want to be timely about, about those, but, you know, getting our weed control going early so we're not behind the curve on that. And just talking about those general trends and, and so forth that we're uh, looking at. So uh, we've got Dennis uh, locked in on the 11th, at least part of the program. I think we'll also be talking with some of our state specialists involving uh, not only corn and soybeans and, and small grains, 
a little bit about um, management things that having going forward with that. Uh, we'll have the opportunity to include our integrated pest management uh, folks as, as well, Bruce Potter, uh, Anthony Hansen, uh, so that we can get a little bit more timely information about uh, pests, uh, insects as they come up, uh, scouting and, and, and so forth. And then, of course, uh, you know, Ryan, if we do have weather situations, if we have everything from, you know, dry conditions, drought, uh, you know, floods, uh, hail and so forth, all of those things that come in, if they impact a wide range of things, uh, we, we certainly want to talk about those, too, in, in terms of managing it. And reflecting back and looking at last year's schedule, uh, one thing we do want to mention and another benefit to getting registered for this program is that uh, we did offer a number of bonus sessions that occurred on, on different days and times uh, uh, as far as uh, kind of bonus topics, things that popped up throughout the growing season. Uh, you know, we did have some really cold temperatures kind of a little bit later in the season, uh, near the beginning of the season. But uh, so we had a special episode there. Uh, we also had uh, had some uh, sort of widespread observations of uh, leaf symptomology, some cupping of soybean leaves. And so we had a special session on, on that that was a bonus and, and was uh, really well attended. And so uh, another benefit to registering for this is that you kind of get keyed in when we do decide to offer one of those bonus sessions. So and kind of along that line, uh, a different thing to mention here is that uh, you know, part of applying dicamba to dicamba-tolerant soybeans here in Minnesota, it does require a, an annual sort of special training up and above and beyond your, your certification or license for, for pesticide application. Uh, and that training is offered from uh, the various chemical registrants, or we might call them chemical companies. Uh, they uh, offer those training sessions, and I know now there's a number of those available online uh, for you to take. And we do have a number of unique requirements here in Minnesota that uh, vary a little bit from the federal label. And Dave, maybe you want to mention that? Well, that's certainly the, uh, the case. Uh, we waited probably, you know, well into the fall, into the winter season here for some of those things to be uh, um, more detailed in terms of that. Uh, but we've got uh, daytime temperature restrictions here on the dicamba, you know, uh, in terms of the application date of 85 degrees. Uh, we have cutoff areas in June uh, from, the, from the standpoint of north of I-94 and south of I-94, um, you know, going north of I-94 up until the end of the June. But there we're talking um, in that, that, I believe it's a 12th um, area in, in there in terms of uh, south of I-94. So those are situations you got to pay attention to. And, and then there are a whole host of record-keeping requirements uh, on the dicamba as well. And the uh, Minnesota Department of Ag has pointed out that that's very critical, uh, and we really encourage uh, growers to do that. You know, not only application records, but wind speed, you know, et, et cetera. So there's there's a lot that goes with those uh, applications to make those from a legal standpoint. And so that's one of the benefits of these annual trainings that the registrants are offering. It's uh, kind of serves as a review course so that they can uh, review some of the label requirements and the things that need to be done. Uh, in order to make those applications in a, in a safe and legal manner. And so uh, really do encourage you to check those out. I uh, have to admit I have to get online and take one of those uh, sessions myself yet here in the next couple of days. And so 
the uh, resource I give to people for this is that uh, Minnesota Crop Production Retailers uh, website. Uh, we'll post a link there. They've been good at uh, hosting the various training opportunities uh, on that website. So thanks to them. Jared, are you guys uh, planning another uh, uh, set, sort of uh, set of field tours here related to small grains across Minnesota? I know last year in Rochester we had uh, a meeting here in the field at one of your research sites uh, sometime there in June. Yeah, so we'll, we will be running our summer uh, plot tours. Uh, really, we'll run you know all the way from Roseau to Rochester, uh, you know, kind of all throughout the state, uh, visiting some of our variety trial locations, talking about, you know, Everything's small grains, so anywhere from uh, variety selection, species selection, uh, you know, and all those types of uh, different agronomic topics, uh, you name it. So very discussion-based, um, you know, very similar to this field notes program where I'm uh, just trying to answer all those, you know, pertinent questions that people have and uh, try to give them some, some of the best recommendations around some of these things. So we'll probably try to uh, incorporate some of that into the field notes program, at least have... Uh, you know, Dr. Yoakum Wiersma, the small grain specialist on uh, to at least address any of those questions that might come up uh, when that time comes around. Just realizing that, you know, not everybody can make it to some of these field days and, um, you know, or even some of the the, uh, the webinars. Um, so making those a little bit more widely available. It's a good opportunity to get out and, and see how this uh, work gets done and see some of these uh, small plots where some of this research data comes from. And so it uh, provides a good opportunity to kind of get that experience as well as an opportunity to visit with you guys that have some uh, expertise in growing small grains. So uh, we might get seasoned growers that, uh, that can come and get their questions answered. And as well as we get guidance on, uh, you know, folks that might be trying to, to make their, some of their initial attempts at uh, growing a small grain and, really want to know how to get started. And so it, it provides an opportunity to really uh, ask some questions and, and get some good uh, good advice. And so looking forward to that opportunity. This year, we probably were going to try to piggyback on uh, uh, one of the research projects there at the, at the farm. Uh, it was a cover crop project. Uh, it, it was uh, looking at cereal rye and different termination and planting dates. In any ways, hopefully we can kind of piggyback those two events together there in Rochester. And I know sometimes it seems like uh, those audiences kind of cross over uh, between the, the uh, cover crops and the small grains. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to make that work. Yeah, they definitely go hand in hand. I like to say, you know, having that third crop in the rotation is, is old school soil health. You know, it's just, uh, you know, the whole, those crop rotation benefits, whereas a lot of people, you know, of course, are trying to fit cover crops into that uh, that system. But um, you know, just adding another crop in there has a lot of those benefits uh, as well. Other things that are coming up this summer, I know there's a, there's set to be a couple of weed science related tours. I know Devlin's planning uh, something there at Rosemont uh, the end of June. Uh, get a chance to see the work that he and his team are doing there, uh, as well as then uh, kind of after the 4th of July, that, that first part of July, we'll be having a, a tour down in Rochester. Again, an opportunity to get out and see some of those trials and, and uh, get a firsthand experience with the, the things that are being done. And so looking forward to that. Uh, I know, Dave, uh, there's rumor that maybe even late in August uh, we'll do another uh, tour up there more related to diseases or diseases and insects in Rosemont. And so we'll be sure to post links. Uh, and, you know, the best thing is probably sign up for that crop e-news so that you get notified of these events when they start coming up. But uh, we'll post links into our calendars as well as uh, do those other notifications. 
anything else you guys want to talk about this morning? Oh, I guess I just throw out that uh, uh, we're open to doing nitrogen smart this summer in general. The the, um, the the live trainings, of course, happen typically from the middle of January through the end of March. But uh, if there's anybody listening that's interested in hosting one of those meetings, if you got something going on locally um, and you've got a group that wants to do that, we're very open to do that. Uh, we're in the process of putting together a new curriculum uh, for that this summer and as well as uh, putting our deep dive into the four R's uh, into an online format. Uh, so we're not we're not going to be out there uh, kind of force feeding it. But if anybody wants those programs, uh, we're very willing to uh, just get get a hold of me and, and uh, we could schedule something. And uh, I know that uh, we're uh, busy with uh, the extension tent and and. Uh, what we're going to do for farm fest this year dave and i have been working on that uh, in addition to that i guess uh, uh, worth noting that uh, there's going to be another summer farm show uh, in minnesota this year the uh, north star ag expo and uh, that's going to be the week before farm fest that's going to be in the Owatonna area and i know that i've already been lined up to do the uh, advanced nitrogen smart deep dive into the four hours at that uh, program i'm not completely sure what else will be at that event, uh, but but uh, that that's another thing that we got coming up. There's one notification that kind of came across my radar that, that looked pretty darn interesting. Uh, again, I don't work in the livestock arena very much at all, but uh, uh, there was an opportunity. The, the uh, Cattlemen's Tour is actually going to come and give folks a chance to uh, to go on a campus. It looked like a pretty neat uh, neat chance to visiting a couple of really pretty interesting topics. Yeah, so I'm uh, one of the lucky ones, I guess you could say, uh, working towards planning that. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it's going to be a really unique tour. It's been a lot of years since the U of M has hosted the State Cattlemen's Tour before. Um, it's been a lot, long time. Um, I actually just picked up some seed yesterday. I've got about 30 some odd species of different forage crops that we're going to be getting planted out there. Uh, going to have some equipment uh, out there for demonstrations, uh, both from kind of the research grade, so some of the farmers and folks out there can see, you know, how some of this research is done, uh, at least from a forage perspective, try and have some of the, the small-scale equipment, you know, the little mini plot combine out there for people to, to kick the tires of as well, uh, just to get a better, better understanding of how some of these things uh, are implemented. Uh, you know, we'll do uh, some stuff on quality, you know, really focusing on forages, obviously, since it is the, the cattleman's tour. Um, other components of that tour will be uh, both a tour of the uh, meat lab. So there's going to be a meat lab demonstration, um, which will be pretty cool, as well as a uh, tour of the vet diagnostic clinic on campus there, and uh, hopefully getting uh, some tours of that uh, that equine center lined up as well. So, uh, you know, really a lot of unique things, kind of a, a chance for people to, you know, pop their head into the U and, and really get a tour of, you know, some of those, you know, uh, um, you know forage and, and animal science related projects that are going on. And uh, one of the really unique things is it'll actually kick off and buses are going to leave from the Minnesota Zoo. Um, so actually have exclusive access to the Minnesota Zoo. There's going to be sponsors, you know, mixed throughout the zoo. Um, and if anyone out there is listening, wants to sponsor something, uh, you can sponsor the an animal if you want. <laughs> uh, not sure if that means you get to put your sign on the, you know, the butt of the tiger or, or not, but... Um, uh, there is some of those opportunities. So really a unique uh, new, unique thing coming on. A lot of work on our end, but uh, it's going to be a really neat tour. Yeah, they're one of the things I'm on the committee as well. They, um, they're they going to gather at the zoo, but then they're going to return 
uh, <clears throat> after the tour up at the University of Minnesota, and then they'll have an evening um, program and meal back down at the zoo. They, they, in fact, rented the whole facility uh, with it. We're going to be doing double duty with these these plots on campus. Uh, uh, then a little bit later on, holding on to them, uh, they're a big part of our uh, annual uh, the uh, situation that we do with the Minnesota University of Minnesota Field School uh, for Ag professionals, and that'll be uh, also on July twentieth uh, and twenty first. So uh, hope to make uh, good use of those and be uh, efficient uh, from a standpoint of forages uh, from that educational. So not only the, the, the growers and the cattlemen on the 12th of July, but also our ag professionals a little bit later in the month. Again, that uh, field school opportunity is a very, very good one. It's a hands-on, uh, very limited sort of lecture. It's a get your hands dirty and, uh, and learn there in the field. It's a two-day event. Good chance to get to campus and see some of these uh, these things that get set up as far as uh, education. And so looking forward to that again this summer uh, as we move forward. One other thing I guess I wanted to mention is we've been collaborating with the uh, public t television station out of Austin, Minnesota, KSMQ. Uh, we've been actually producing or helping to produce their best management practice or sorry, best practices segments for their Farm Connections television program. So. Uh, this Farm Connections is a, a pretty interesting TV show that airs on public television. Again, produced out of that Austin station, but it's it's shared with the uh, uh, Pioneer TV out of the west central part of uh, of Minnesota. So regardless where you're listening to, if you're out state, you should be able to, to catch that uh, uh, on television. Or uh, after they air, they do post their, their shows on the web, so it would be an opportunity to see this. But... They cover a wide variety of agricultural topics during their show, and, and we've been having our uh, best practices segments. We cover some crop production topics, uh, little three-minute segments in their show. So that's a, been an interesting thing. But I encourage people to tune into that. Uh, the first episode set to air uh, on May 5th at 7.30 p.m., again, on that KSMQ public television uh, May 5th there. Uh, that's the first air date. And after they air, they do post them on their website to view. So uh, if you don't have uh, broadcast television, that's uh, another opportunity to tune into that show. But uh, again, just another opportunity. I think the only other thing uh, I would bring up here, maybe for Jared a little bit too, in his conversation, we talked about all of our annual crops, maybe just a little bit about alfalfa. Um, greening up here, typically, you know, we always talk about this time of the year, making those assessments uh, on an older stand. I don't know how much winter injury that we're really going to entail here this year, but any thoughts, Jared, about uh, going out and taking a, a square out there and a square foot and getting an idea on plant stand counts and uh, being patient enough for, uh, uh, for green up to make those decisions? Yeah, really, uh, at this point, you know, patience is key. Um, you know, when the, your lawn hasn't really hardly started to green up, you know, it's a little too early to be evaluating those alfalfa stands. You know, there is some green growth out there. Uh, you know, so, you know, you can definitely uh, tell already whether or not uh, those things are responding. You know, hopefully we avoid those really cold temperatures that might affect some of that new growth. But uh, for the most part, I think we're sitting in, you know, an okay uh, point in terms of winter kill and winter injury. But um, yeah, as things really start to green up, uh, you know, pull the shovel out, go dig up some plants, uh, take a look at those roots, see how they 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 look and uh, but yeah really being patient and, and waiting for that uh, giving it the crop a little bit of time before you you know make any plans to to rip it up um, I guess this year and that was one of the uh, things I guess uh, Ryan I think two years ago maybe 
uh, we had covered on the that best practices segment uh, there for that, that TV program. So a lot of good stuff there, but uh, patience, I guess, is kind of the, the key word there. And I wouldn't anticipate a lot of problems with as dry as it was last year. Uh, I know frequently that uh, late winter ice sheeting is the, the culprit uh, uh, more often than not with, with uh, really decimating stands. And in a lot of cases, uh, we still had capacity to absorb uh, precip, and now it's getting so late, uh, I don't anticipate there being significant ice sheeting anymore. While if there is, uh, uh, we really got some other issues, I guess we'll have to come back and talk about. And I just want to take one last opportunity here to promote our Strategic Farming Field Notes program, which is an, an online discussion format uh, happening Wednesdays throughout the growing season from 8 to 8.30 a.m. Uh, again, uh, please click on and register for the program so you can kind of stay tuned in as to what topic uh, is coming each week, as well as be reminded that it's occurring. Uh, but it's your opportunity to kind of tune in and ask some questions, engage in the discussion. Uh, but our first episode coming up here May 11th, um, and again, we're going to kind of start with that climate discussion, uh, talk a little bit about uh, uh, what's what's in store for us potentially for the growing season. And so, again, uh, we look forward to having you participate in that. And thanks again for listening to the Gopher Coffee Shop podcast. Thanks again. Thanks again.